Deuteronomy says we can stone those prophets and should because they are false. Um, and there's going to be strict punishment against performing any sacrifices outside the temple. That would be blasphemous. Remember at the time just prior to this, there are, there are uh, good uh, Jews that are doing sacrifices outside the temple. And they are worshiping uh, heaven. And at the same time, you also have Baal worshipers that are performing sacrifices outside. And they're worshiping their way. And Josiah's way is, was to go through and just do a whole cleaning of the house. The only way to make sure that we get rid of all the idolatry and everything at the same time is just a clean house. And we're going to strict it to the, the temple and to the law. So we threw the baby out with the bath. In the same time as we got rid of the Baal worshippers, we also got rid of all other worship that was going on. Um, which, without going into a lot of detail, included worship of a heavenly mother. It was flushed out all at the same time. Okay? Um, so, there is a, so as we, as we start... Uh, now in the Book of Mormon, there is a subplot that underlies not just Nephi and his family, but it's going to underlie the entire uh, set of the Book of Mormon. Um, and that is we're going to get this little line that we're going to have Nephi, uh, who is going to kind of be seen as uh, the new Joseph. We're going to see a number of parallels between uh, Nephi and uh, Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. And Laman and Lemuel. Now, let me just say this. That here's where the challenge is going to be. Uh, when did Nephi actually write the small plates? After when? After he's in the Americas, right? Okay, so this is long after the fact. Now, we have to understand that at that point, he's now in the, in the promised land... Uh, the, the Lamanites have, have accused him of what? What was the lie that persisted for a thousand years and resulted in the usurping, murder of millions? Yeah, usurping, their, U, usurping their power of Laman and Lemuel, right? The first born, so At, the, they had a right to kingship. And they wanted the sort of Laban and the plates. And the, uh, because <laughs> those, the, the plates and the Leahona and all of those kind of things were signatory. They were symbolic of what? Power. In the same way that we have the, the king, you know, has the scepter and the crown. I mean, it's kind of interesting. And there was the Leahona and the sword of Laban. I mean, there's, a, there's an interesting parallel here. Okay. But it was symbolic of the authority. And it says that they tried to usurp the power. And this was the young middle son, younger son, not the older sons, whose right that that was. Okay. So we're going to so years after Nephi is going to begin to write this. I think uh, First and Second Nephi was written partly as a way to uh, explain why it is that Nephi took over the the Lehi family uh, authority. He didn't just take it on himself. Here's why. So we're going to get this whole story of this. Now, in order to do that, bless Nephi's heart, I think he creates kind of a... <coughs> Laman and Lemuel kind of come off a bit flat. They can't, they, he, he polarizes them. Laman and Lemuel are, are seen as just whiny, snotty, murmuring, evil, 
dad mur murdering Nephi tying up bad guys who just wanted to go back and have their good stuff. And if you begin to understand where Laman and Lemuel were coming through, including the possibility, and I think it's a very strong possibility, that Laman and Lemuel were Deuteronomists. Laman and Lemuel, if, we, if, if Laman and Lemuel had written the story, would we get a different story? And it would be that their vicious, no, but not vicious, vigorous defense of what? The Torah. And the law. Sure. We will defend it against false prophets. We will defend it against. Okay. There is another story here. And it's now they went the wrong way about it. But I need you to see Laman and Lemuel maybe not quite so flat. And you're going to see it as you begin to understand maybe what was motivating some of what they did. Okay. So Nephi. Uh, how, how do we know about uh, Nephi? Well, what makes him kind of this... New Joseph, in a sense. Okay? Number one, he's the younger brother. He was actually named, we don't know if he's specifically named for, but the only Nephi, or Nephi, that we can find in history actually is the Egyptian grain god. And for Joseph, he was, in essence... The grain god, right? You had to go to Egypt to get the grain to, so your family could survive. So for Nephi to be given this name ties him, and Lehi may have done that very specifically, could easily have tied Nephi to this grain god, meaning that he's going to be the younger brother that will save the family. Okay? Now, is he? Uh, do the, did the brothers try and leave him for dead in the wilderness so the wild beasts will kill him? Yeah, does this sound familiar? Sure. They're you're going to watch this story. Nephi's writing this, but he's trying to say, yeah, I'm kind of Joseph-like. And Joseph didn't just necessarily take it on himself. Joseph was a little naive sometimes, kind of trumpeting, you know, hey, I've got dreams. How about you? <laughs> and created a lot of jealousy among the brothers. Okay? Uh, he was made a ruler over his brothers. Through there, and he was made a ruler over them because of their wickedness and his righteousness. And he had visions and dreams. Okay? You see Joseph emerging? Okay, so... That's it. So use that as the backdrop. Yeah. He also explains dreams to other people who don't understand them. And they're going to say, so we're going to come to him, interpret the dream for us. Exactly right. Okay. Or, or try to kill him. Well, and ultimately they're going to try and kill him because they don't like where he's going with all of this. Okay. See, th that's, that's the parallel. So if in, in your mind, as we start taking a look at 2 Nephi, start pulling this subplot underneath this of Laman and Lemuel... Not necessarily just being evil twerps, but there is a method behind it that's really going to jump out at you in Second Nephi uh, two. So let's let's go there. Uh, all right. All right. So it came to pass that the Lord spake unto my father, even in a dream. 
Blessed art thou, Nephi, because of things which thou hast done, thou hast been faithful, uh, they're going to take away your life. And Nephi's going to say, And it came to pass that the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream. He's going to keep repeating the word dream. Why? Well, if you're a Deuteronomist, what are you on the lookout for? False prophets, right? Who have? Dreams and visions. Well, and especially the vision thing. Okay? Now, in, in using these words, uh, he's going to say the Lord commanded my father even in a dream. Now, I, I, I marked with the word uh, dream. Let me link it over here to Numbers 12. Six. This is actually coming from Moses. And with Moses it says, And now hear my words. If there be a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak unto him in a dream. And he's going to quote, the, the, this is action taken with Moses. Who are the Deuteronomists focused on? It's about Moses and the law, right? So in a sense, he's saying, my father, who, yeah, he's having these visions, which we aren't supposed to be having now under Josiah. Moses said it was all right to have dreams. That's how the Lord works. So my father is going to respond in a dream. Okay, back, back to 1 Oh, and by the way, one other. Uh, I don't want to confuse you too much. But remember, as, as they're leaving, what prophet gets left behind? As Lehi and his family is taken off into the wilderness, and everybody else is carried away captive into Babylon, who's the prophet left behind? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Poor Jeremiah. Here's Jeremiah and his response in Jeremiah 9, talking about dreams. I'll link over here. All that I had in the wilderness, a lodging place of wayfaring men. You know, you know. think about Lehi. You know, oh, that I could be like Lehi. I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men that I might leave my people and go with them. You almost wonder if <laughs> Lehi said, see ya, we're off into the wilderness. And he's like, oh, the Lord says I have to stay here. Oh. Oh, that I could go with you. Uh, for they all be adulterers and an assembly of treacherous men. <laughs> they bend their tongues like bows for lies. They're not valued for the truth on the earth. You know? So, that, man, I really wish I could go with Lehi. And, I would, and it just wouldn't surprise me at all if you knew that. Yeah? There is a movie out that some Christian group wrote, uh, did about Jeremiah, and it is awesome. I, I, I would think so. Yeah. Jeremiah is an interesting guy, what he went through. And he watches the whole thing from beginning to end, even going with the others that leave Jerusalem, and rather than going to Babylon, they go off to Egypt. And he, go, he ends up with, those, with the Jews in Egypt. They're going to found, uh, found Alexandria and the, and the great, and the, build a, a temple there. Yeah. I think Lemon and Lemuel were much like a lot of people today where they don't believe that we could have modern day revelation and mm -hmm. and so they were close minded to they, they didn't take 
the opportunity to receive their own revelation. Hang on to that idea, because that's where we're going to go. If you can see Laman and Lemuel in that light, they're going to be a little less one-dimensional and just... But, but they are going the, the battle is going to be, what does it take to be a good Jew? Okay? What is involved in that? And for them, they would say, good Jews follow the Torah. Good Jews don't allow false prophets to come in. And good Jews... You're... Okay, hold because <laughs> here's what's going to happen uh, I wish we could take time to talk about how Lehi who's, whose heart is so set on riches that when, when the Lord says go, go into the wilderness he just leaves his riches all behind you know, we're out of here I think that's just a, a beautiful commentary uh, anyway alright so they get out there they're going to travel we think around uh, 200, 250 miles something like that down there <clears throat> Uh, then it came to pass they traveled three days in the wilderness he pitches his tent in the valley by the side of the river and it came to pass that he built an altar of stones and made an offering unto the Lord and gave thanks unto the Lord <laughs> what has he done and out of the temple and here's the other question who is supposed to be uh, doing sacrifices in the temple. Priests. Which priests? The high priests. The Levites. Oh yeah, that's right. What tribe is Manasseh from? Or <laughs> what tribe is Lehi. Manasseh from? Lehi. Yes. He is. He's a Manassite. If that's a Manassehite, Manassehite. He's try as a yes. He's he's the tribe of Manasseh. How dare he be sacrificing in the wilderness outside the temple as a Manassite? So this is the first point. You think it's a surprise then that he's he builds this altar, he's gonna he's gonna offer sacrifice, and this is where Tam he's making the layman and Lemuel. Why? Uh, because they didn't murmur against their father. Now suddenly we get this murmuring coming because I think they had, as far as their understanding, they had some legitimate questions. Dad, what tribe are you from? Manasseh, well, you're not a Levite. You're not supposed to be offered. And we're not at the temple. What are you doing? Okay. Now, this next few verses, I, I actually, as I looked at it, I actually kind of reversed it. So I took the verses and turned them upside down so you can kind of see the, the problem. Laman and Lemuel, Nephi says, were like unto the Jews who were at Jerusalem. So you get a sense, another, another clue that they were probably Deuteronomists, that they were steeped in all of this and believed in all of Josiah's reforms. Neither did they believe that Jerusalem could be destroyed according to the words of the prophets. Even though Nebuchadnezzar is on his way and he's marching on them, their belief was that the law of Moses would save them. If we are strict adherence to the law of Moses, we'll be okay. 
And that, and again, that may mean starving the poor and doing all that. Now, uh, Jesus is going to run into the same mentality, and that is very rich people who believe that they can, that if they just strictly live to the law of Moses and get rid of all of those embarrassing uh, mir- miracles and and angels and all that kind of stuff and just strictly live the law of Moses, we'll, we will be just fine. It's At the time of Jesus, these are called who? Pharisees and Sadducees. No. Sa- these are the Sadducees. The Sadducees are the rich in the city that believe they can mix Greek culture and just live the law of Moses. They're in the city. The Pharisees are going to be those in the rural areas who says, we're going to build all kinds of extra laws and stuff like that to make sure that we don't break the law of Moses, but we're going to, we believe that the law of Moses isn't enough. We need more laws. So Jesus will attack the Pharisees from time to time because of their extra stuff, but the Sadducees are very much the Deuteronomists. They are the rich uh, and can mingle with the Greeks. In this case, we can mingle with the Egyptians. We'll be fine and be a good Jew. As long as we hold tightly to the law of Moses, we'll be safe. So we can cheat everybody else, but as long as we live the law, we're fine. Was it obedience that caused Lemon and Lemuel to go with their family, or could they stay behind and spend the riches? You know, that question, could Laman and Lemuel, and because the other question is asked this, should he have left them behind? They were such a pain in the rear. Why not just have them gone? Why haul them? Yeah? I think it's because that was part of the plan that the Nephites needed the Lamanites they did. to help humble them and to. So we're going to drag them kind of against their will. There's a safety issue here. There was a safety issue that they had to take everybody who knew that they could be out in the wilderness so people didn't follow him and hunt them again. Sure, that's why, for the same reason we took Zoram. I think they. I don't. I think they had a choice. They always had a choice. Sure. But the Lord, He did enough things to compel them to want to go. Like, um, in this chapter um, that we're studying, you know, they're murmuring against Lehi, and it talks about how they quaked. You know, he, Lehi talked to them, and they felt this quake, and they go, oh, "Okay, well, I guess maybe yeah. we better obey." So I think fourteen. So whenever the, they get to the point, like we're going to go back, he shakes them up. <laughs> Literally. So, so even if they were, when they were trying, see, we don't have, he's just talking to them and he says they're like the Jews in Jerusalem, but you know what? They're going to get zapped here. There was some, enough of a rebellion going on, but it was important that they be there. So. They had several opportunities when they were in Jerusalem to not. They could have, yeah, you, you take the, Nephi take the plates and go home, we'll go back to, oh, that's right, Laban stole our stuff. But you're right, they did have opportunities and they ended up choosing to go. Because, by the way, at the end, if you're a Deuteronomist and you're going to believe in the law of Moses, you also believe in patriarchal order, right? And so you're going to have to follow your dad. It brings out in that video, David, that it's very strong culture where they did not disobey their No, they didn't. Unless he's dead, of course. Yeah, right. Yeah. So on his side, he's being obedient. He's inviting them. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have to wonder too. How many times during historical events, 
Yeah. You wonder if it could have come back on him? Because Lehi would have had a reputation yeah, by, by that point. And Lehi and Lemuel, even though they were kicking and screaming, perhaps that was the reason why they had so this whole family. Could very easily be. Yeah. Um, well, I think that they must have loved their father. Right. And so if they saw the people who were attacking them, they would have wanted to protect their father too. Sure. Yeah. See, that's why I say I think there's a don't don't paint them at too black and white as as Nephi did trying to defend years later. Try and see them as a more fuller, more complicated creature. Yeah. Go here and. Here. Well, they are. I mean, there there's some greed. There's no question. There's some greed that enters in, and they will say it later. You know, we we could have been stayed at home and enjoyed our stuff, but at the same time, there is. They could have stayed home and enjoyed their stuff. But there is this strong imperative that goes with the culture that says I'm supposed to follow my the father who is the patriarch. And I will do that. Yeah. I think we've forgotten somebody important is not even being mentioned. It's the mother. Yeah. I mean, think about, did it, did it, has that, we not, we've not even discussed that maybe they left to stay with their mom. Yeah. Good. We're not sure about <laughs> dad. <laughs> no, ask, ask, ask Sister Lot <laughs> about leaving kids behind. Um, so, so we're getting these guys, and they're going to be like them. In other words, they're still going to believe in, if they're believing in the law, and they're believing in the tradition of this. Uh, they also don't believe that Jerusalem can be destroyed. Um... Here's the next one. They did murmur because they... And this becomes critical. Not just for Laman and Lemuel, but I need you to understand this in the broader context of those that are living a strict adherence to the law. The problem with Laman and Lemuel, according to Nephi, was that they knew not what? The dealings of that God who had created them. Now, let, let me take a step back. Try not to be too complicated on this. Why was the law of Moses given in the first place? What was the purpose of the law? It was the best God could do since they rejected the good stuff. It was kind of a step down, yeah? It was a preparatory law for the higher law. So it was a, it was a, a schoolmaster to get them to the higher law. Right? Okay? Um, so if the law of Moses was to teach them and prepare them for the coming of the Messiah, how could a group of people get the, the schoolmaster, the law of Moses, and it still is not leading them to the Messiah? It leads them to a place where they don't even understand the Creator who created them. Nephi kept asking his brothers, did you pray about it? Did you ask the Lord? Say, say that again, the louder. 
I don't have the mic. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Nephi kept asking his brothers, did you pray about it? Did you ask the Lord? Yeah. Okay. Part of the, what went with the law of Moses was that the, if you if think about it, under, under the wisdom doctrine prior to 600 B.C., they had the law of Moses. They also had inspiration and guidance, and the heavens were open. What happens if you simply have the observances and you take away ongoing revelation? Now you just have a system of laws, right? I, I, I was reading. I was reading online a guy the other day, and he said, um, and he's kind of like there's been a, there's been a kind of a movement inside uh, uh, biblical scholars, and even in Christianity, and even in Judaism. Which is, you know what? We're kind of embarrassed by miracles and magic stuff. <laughs> so, can we believe, as a Jew, can I believe in Judaism without doing the whole Moses in Egypt, where we don't really have lots of evidence, and just believe that they were people that kind of grew up in, in Canaan? Uh, can't we just leave out the whole, all that plague thing and the Passover thing. That's a big it's a big movement inside Judaism. How about inside Christianity? We're kind of embarrassed by the miracle thing. You know, and we, we want to worship, and if you ever go on the History Channel, they talk a lot about the historical Jesus. The historical Jesus is code word for what? It's what? Myths. A myths. He's a regular dude. He taught really good things. He was a good teacher. But all of the miracles and the magic stuff and the raising from the dead stuff. Can't we, can't we be sophisticated enough to leave all that stuff behind and just recognize that it was a good program, a good teaching, a good way of living... And so the teachings of Jesus we can put next to Buddha and we can put next to Confucius and we can put next to whoever and recognize that there were good things being taught and leave out all of the miracle crazy stuff. And he's not divine. And he's not divine. No. No. How are they going to hold members? I mean... How do they hold members? If it's not miracles and wonderful things from a heavenly father, what... Why even bother? I, the, the blog I was reading this week said Mormonism is true and it's, it's, a, it's a great program. Can't we get rid of the magic glasses and the, and, and the gold plate things and an angel? That's kind of embarrassing when we're trying to talk to other scholars. <laughs> so if we could just get rid of all of the crazy... Moroni stuff. We're not still not sure where the Book of Mormon came from, but it seems to be ancient. We just don't think it came from gold plates and magic classes. Our bishop in Kentucky has a very wealthy televangelist brother. You want to see what Bishop Hagee looks like? He and his brother uh, clones. And, and um, 
He said that his brother said, your church is true, but I can't afford it. <laughs> I mean, there yeah. goes the jet. There goes yeah, the I know. Israel with a million-dollar check. So. Oh, so here's my question. What would happen if we said, you know what, Mormonism is a really good program. It's a great way to raise kids and people. Why don't we just get rid of the, that whole first vision thing and, and all of that crazy stuff? Couldn't we just be okay with that? What is the problem with that? Well, Peter says, it's, or Christ told Peter, that's the rock of the gospel is filled with revelation. That, that ongoing revelation is the key to being able to take the commandments and ordinances that we've been given and ongoing revelation gives us an idea of how that functions, right? Okay. That's why the, if to unplug the church from Joseph Smith or from the, the, the way, listen closely, the way that God deals with man the way that God deals with prophets would be to simply leave us with a system of ordinances that, for instance, in a lot of Judaism, Judaism has become very, very legalistic. It's whoever's interpreting it creates what Judaism is. If we pull ourselves away from Joseph Smith and, how, and the foundations of that, not only would we be just stuck with a, a list of rules that would be dependent on who tells us about them, but we would remove ourselves from that God who has created us and that inspiration and guidance about why that we get the commandments we get. So part of what's happening with the Jews stuck in Jerusalem and just trying to live under strict laws is that in the living of the law, guess what they're missing? The understanding of who? God. And that God who has created them. We're living... Without that, that's why we go back to this last conference, you know, about... Uh, um, the, this is a really, really hard church to live. Isn't that? If you can't hear the music. Try and do the dance of this church without the music. Try and do the dance of this church without ongoing revelation. Well, now would if if on a Sunday morning you can go to our church and hear amateur preachers <laughs> give travel logs or whatever they're doing, and our sacrament meetings can be really good or kind of rough <laughs> as youth are learning how to give talks. And we can go for three hours, and that's if you don't have any extra meetings on top of that. Or you can go down the street to a bigger, fancier church with a professional uh, speaker and a Grammy Award winning uh, choir and go for an hour. And a nursery. And a nursery. And a Starbucks. In the st yeah. <laughs> And it's cheaper. And it, yeah, and it is cheaper. <laughs> so, but but in the midst, of, so you can live, uh, uh, you can be doing all of these things and simply miss this point, and that is, I can do all of this stuff and not know the dealings of that God who has created me, and how he and he works with us. How he works with us. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Well, and that's and, and it's my belief that a lot of why it is that we're losing some of the people that we're losing is that they grew up in the church, they went on missions, they got married in the temple, they've served in callings, they've been there all of their life, and all at once when a crisis comes along or there is something that shakes them up, you, they suddenly find out that they do not know the dealings of that God who has created them. They don't. Even though they were in the church their entire life. And that can include us. We have to be really careful. We have to... The, the dealing here... Or the deal is, is that... Uh, we're not going to know the dealings of that God who has created us. And then we murmur. Okay? So... Elder Maxwell... Failing to understand the dealings of the Lord with His children, meaning His relations with and treatment of His children, is very fundamental. Murmuring is but one of the symptoms, and not the only consequence either. In fact, brothers and sisters, this failure affects everything else. To misread something so crucial constitutes a failure to know God who then ends up being wrongly seen as unreachable, uninvolved, uncaring, and unable, a disabled and diminished deity. It's pure Elder Maxwell. <laughs> but for instance, how would you answer the question that might come from somebody that would say, I can't believe in a God that will allow so much suffering. How can you believe it? Look at the suffering that's going on in the world. How can you believe in a God that would allow such suffering? How would you answer that? Well, it's like the mother. The little kid throws himself on the ground, screaming bloody murder, kicking his heels, and you just wait a minute or two before you haul him out to the car. True. But, but, but we're talking about wars, and we're talking about kids being killed. We're talking about ISIS running amok and beheading Christians. How can you believe in a God that would allow such evil in the world? And that's one of those age-old questions. But as a Latter-day Saint, if somebody's going to ask you that question, what's your answer? That, then I don't like the plan. I think it's the wrong plan. I think it's an idiot plan. Yeah. Are we willing to give up our free agency in order for those things not to be smooth? I, I might be willing to give up my free agency if it means Christians don't get beheaded. See, see where the mind goes? If I don't understand how God works, I'm going to be pretty fast to say, I can't believe that you would believe in a God that lets this happen. Mm -hmm. and I, the agency is crucial because we don't need I can't believe in a God that would allow that kind of agency to allow people to suffer to that extent. Can you, can you, can you sense your own confusion to it? It's a, it is really a hard question. It is really a hard question. There's always been suffering in the world there from always the has beginning been. of time. In history books, whether it's in the scriptures or history books, there's been suffering. So there's been all this forever. suffering. Why would God let all this happen through all these centuries? I have to either. Uh, by the way, this is why. Let me just put it in here. 
An ex-Mormon blog, which currently counts nearly 12,000 recovering Mormons, posted a group survey in early 2013. And this is the first time that I have seen actual hard data to back up what my experience has been. Uh, and it, it was exactly right on. Nearly half of those who answered the survey would describe themselves as atheists. Another 30% would describe themselves as agnostic. Of the 12,000 in this poll who grew up in the church or associated with the church, been a Mormon, 80% are either agnostic or atheist. And this lies at the bottom of this. I can't believe in a God who would fill in the blank. I do not know the dealings of that God who has created me. This is at the heart of the problem. And, and, and rather than go, I'm not going to leave Mormonism and become a Catholic. 1% do that. I'm not going to leave Mormonism and go down the street to a Methodist church. I'm going to leave religion altogether and become an atheist. That's, that's what happens. And my experience in dealing with, with those whose faith has been shaken is that they don't believe in God at all. Okay? Now, so how would you answer the question? Yeah? There are no atheists in Foxtel. No, there aren't. <laughs> It's funny where that stuff suddenly comes back at the last moment. But, but let's say, for instance, that what, what happens in a case like this is that they get stuck on this statement, which is, I can't believe in a God who would, and then they don't, they can't, they don't walk it through logically. Okay, so let's say that you can't believe in a God that wouldn't intervene in a man beating his wife. What should happen at that point? What exact, if, if you can't believe in a God, if you were going to believe in a God who wouldn't let this happen, what should happen at that moment? He should be struck dead or, or he's going to come through and intervene and stop the man. Okay. What about uh, uh, a man that's going to like beat his kids? What should happen if we believe in a God that will not let this happen? What should happen with ISIS as they're getting ready to behead Christians? There's going to be a divine intervention, right? Maybe there's a lightning bolt or God is there and they're stopped. And suddenly now you have a long series of God is now going to intervene in every action, every uh, evil act. He won't let anything happen. He's got to be there. He's got, now we begin to believe in a God who's going to exercise incredibly strict control over the actions of man so that he doesn't let them do anything bad. I've got to catch him in a yeah. What's that? It is Satan's plan. I've got to control absolutely everything. But if I'm struggling with this line and I'm going, do I believe? Have him walk it through. Okay, let's talk about if you were going to believe in a God that didn't allow this to happen... Take it as far as you want to. And that is, God is going to prevent every single bad thing that ever is going to happen. It looked like, for instance, if we're going to say, I can't believe in a God that would let somebody get a B instead of an A in a class. So I'm going to believe then in a God that's going to stand there while I'm doing my exam. And the minute I, I think the answer is B, A. <laughs> Okay, I think the answer is C, B. 
In other words, I will not prevent wrong stuff, bad stuff happening. And you go, and how did you do on the test? I don't know. God took it for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try and believe in a God that's going to pr- not a- make sure that I never suffer. Make sure that I intervene every time that there may be anything. And by the way, where do we draw that line? Beheading Christians is awful. What if it's just kids, uh, a four-year-old being mean to his two-year-old? Are we going to intervene in that one too? The minute that we place God as the ultimate intervener in everything that happens, you can't just say... Well, I'm going to do the big stuff, beheadings, but maybe not intervene on a husband beating his wife. Oh, no, that one's a bad one. So we're going to have the husband intervene here. What about the four-year-old doing the two? No, I'm going to intervene on. You can't. It's an all-or-nothing kind of thing. If this is an intervening God, it's an all-or-nothing deal. Yeah. Sure. Good families don't exist, these negative things. And so when I heard the gospel, I thought I would be so grateful to believe in a God who would save us from so much suffering. And the other side of it. And so, and I kind of have a hard time understanding where people get such a sense of entitlement. <laughs> and you're like, well, I can do blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what yeah. do you do to, you know, I don't know. Anyway. No, I think that, that that's really a good point. That again, I believe. If, if my view of God... See, see, that's why I come back to this idea, and I think this is so crucial to the entire book. Here Again, here's the portal that we're going into the Book of Mormon through. We're, going to, we're looking at this God, we're looking at these battles, but they are very real things that it is, how do I... What, what is this God that I worship? What does He think? What does He believe? How does He do this? And we're about to get an answer, and it's the way Nephi resolves this. Yeah. No, no. Can you imagine if you went to a? If you're going to go to a surgeon that all the way through medical school, as he's taking his exams, he's going. I think it's B. A. I think I should cut here. No, cut there. Oh, okay. Now, yeah. Now I'm going to. This is going to be my surgeon. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, if right. I always think he's going to spoon everything to us. Yeah. How can we grow if, you know, we could just be, we'd be weak? Because, right. Because ultimately we don't understand God's plan. That's why we don't understand his dealings. Well, it's, it's how we pass the test. I, I gave a talk and I told a story about a man. Uh, well, they went in and freed the, those who were in concentration camps. And they came across the man who was just really cheerful and whatnot and they decided he hadn't been there long 
found out no, he'd been there over six years. Thought, well, maybe he didn't suffer like some of the others. Yes, they lined up his family and shot them and kept him because of his language abilities. But he chose to um, have a positive attitude about every person he came in contact with. Yeah. And he was better, better health-wise and everything. So, Victor Frank. So, yeah. Okay, so hold on this idea then. Because now we're going to get, here is the contrast. And Joseph and uh, uh, Nephi is going to set up, here was my brothers who were struggling to not understand God. How is Nephi going to understand God? Uh, uh, it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature. Now listen to his process. His process says, and having great desires to know God, to know the mysteries of God, uh, wherefore I did cry unto the Lord, he did visit me, did soften my heart, and I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. Therefore I did not, while I could have, because I also believe in the law of Moses, I could have, but I didn't, rebel against Lehi, like unto my brothers. Now, let's back up a little bit here. What was Nephi's greatest desire? What do you want to know? The mysteries of God. Oh, see, this word mysteries, we get caught up sometimes going, well, we're not supposed to study the mysteries. Meaning, mysteries meaning what? Does the pearly gates go back and forth or up and down? <laughs> Where exactly is Kolob? And we call those mysteries, the things, and that, those are the ones that we go, well, this isn't important to your salvation. But when we talk specifically about the mysteries of God, Nephi uh, is going to tell you that knowing the mysteries of God is critical to your salvation. Now, yeah. I'm sorry. The mysteries of God to me is just knowing God. Yes, and right. And, and we'll take that one step farther. Okay. Now, we have actually heard this great desire to know the mystery of God. What other prophet has struggled with this that we have? Yeah, all of them. Can we pop over? I put your Abraham one. Listen to Abraham. So let me link over here. Okay. Here's Abraham. And finding there was greater happiness and peace for me, I sought for the blessings of the Father and the right thereof that I should be ordained. Having been a follower of righteousness, and then listen to his steps, desiring to be one who possessed great knowledge, in mysteries, to, uh, desire to be uh, great knowledge and to be a greater follow of righteousness, which comes after that, and to possess a greater knowledge. And to be a father of many nations, a prince, and desiring to receive instructions uh, and to keep the commandments to become a rightful heir. Uh, and he, he sought my appointment in the priesthood. Okay, so, now... So let me go back here to Nephi. And desires to know the mysteries of God. Now this, how are we going to know what the mysteries are? We got to know mysteries. Wow. 
That's kind of a cool thing. Uh, I will say, uh, well, I mean, it's complicated. I did a little, I did some research on this one. Uh, uh, Alma, by the way, Alma 12.9 gives us the requirements uh, for get, learn the mysteries. Uh, and they are, it's given unto many to know the mysteries of God. They're laid under strict command. They not import it, import it, impart it, according to the portion they were given. So one of those, uh, instructions are is that you don't share it once you learn this immediately. Okay. The mysteries of God are, are critical to us. Now here's what I found was, was interesting. And that is the, uh, the mysteries um, the, the, the word mysteries of God is actually a you can find it in the New Testament but you can't find it in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the term mysteries of God uh, is actually a, it's a creation of the English translators. So to try and understand what Nephi was talking about, you kind of have to see what was the equivalent in the Old Testament. Because that's coming from the brass plates. That's what Nephi would understand. Okay, Guess what the equivalent was in the Old Testament to the mysteries of God in the New Testament? Secrets. Amos 3.7. Where's my seminary teachers? I, the Lord, will do nothing except I reveal my... Yeah, I will reveal my secrets unto my servants, the prophets. Yeah, it's, it goes back to Revelation. And, if you remember last class, the word secret... And I about jumped off my chair on this one. The word secret... You know what the Hebrew word is for secret? We talked last week about... Sowed, C-O-W-D. It is the counsel of God. It is, it is to be in His counsel, to be taught by Him, to learn what He wants, and then to impart that counsel to those that are ready to hear it. That's, it's that, it's that getting a chance to be in a divine counsel. How do you learn the mysteries? You're going to be taught uh, by... Uh, for instance, I was thinking about this on yesterday. We had we had a high, our high council sowed, our high council meeting. Now, if you wanted to ask me today what I believe President Wilding wants for the Plano State, actually having been in his presence and hearing his thought process and his thinking and the desires of his heart, I could probably answer pretty well. Why? Because I talked to him face to face. I learned what his thinking was. And as I learned what his thinking was, I can now go forward with that knowledge of saying pretty confidently, here's what President Wilding is trying to do. Because I know him. I know his thinking. Because I got to be in counsel with him. That make sense? I then went to the award council, where I sat as part of a ward council, uh, and I heard the discussion. If you wanted to ask me today... What I think that Bishop Smith in the Plano First Ward wants for his ward, I could probably tell you. Why? Because I was in the ward sowed. I was in the ward council. I heard the inspired leader say, here's what I want, here's what my plan is, here's what I'd like you to do. Then he gave assignments to the elders quorum president who's supposed to go do this, and the Relief Society president's going to go do this. Each of us got our assignments, and we're going to walk out of that 
ward council sowed, and we're going to go out and impart the words of the bishop to those that we have responsibility over. Why? Well, how do you know what the bishop wants? I was there in council with him. I heard him say. I've been in one with the stake president where I heard him pray. I know what his desires of his heart is. So here we're about to go to general conference. We're about to sit at the feet of prophets who have sat in the in the uh, uh, quorum sods, and who have they heard? The prophet, and and not just from a from a pulpit. They've heard him thinking, his deliberations, his thought process, and they and they can actually tell you the dealings of President Monson. Here's what I want. Think President Monson is wanting. Here was his purpose. Here's what he's asking us to do. But here's why. Let me give you the whole picture. It's a sowed. It's a and and for Lehi and all these prophets to be invited into this heavenly sowed. What does God want? How does God deal with the the dealings of man? Well, when I was in His presence with all the angels and everything, and I heard God talking about this, this is what He wants. I know His mind and will because I heard it face to face. Those are the mysteries. It's that understanding, and we want to hear, we want to learn about the mysteries from those who have been in the souls. God is much more gentle. He counsels us, and if we choose to listen, understand, and obey, we get Zion. If not, we get ISIS beheading people. Yeah, yeah, but we can can go off the tracks pretty fast. Okay, so... The, here's the here's the deal here. What does secrets mean? So it means the council. Oh. The, the the actual word the actual word secret in Hebrew is is so C O W D. It is that the secrets are the council of God. It is that divine knowledge that comes only by face to face meeting with understanding His purposes. Okay. So, for Abraham, by the way, Abraham, watch the pattern. Abraham was a follower, and then he was a desirer, and then he was a follower. Yeah? Was the word cow so? Uh huh. What language was it? Hebrew. C O W D. Pronounced sowed. Cow. Yeah, it looks like cow. I'm sorry. But it's actually sowed. So for Abraham, he followed, he desired, he followed, and he became a possessor of what? The mysteries of God. The secrets. The divine secrets. And and by the way, secret uh, is in the same thing we talk about uh, the temple. It is sacred. We don't share it with everybody, but... It is open to everybody who qualifies to come and learn in the in the temple uh, environment. The temple sowed. It's the count learning and be taught in that place to then share it with those that are desiring to know more. Okay. So here was Abraham. He was a follower. He was a desirer, and a follower, then a possessor. What about Lehi? He was obedient. And then what happens to, to an obedient Lehi? He has a revelation. Right? Kind of a, a, a flaming kind of thing. 
Okay? Then what does he do? He follows. And it's going to be hard obedience. Take your family into the wilderness and go. So he goes. And then once he gets out into the wilderness, what's going to happen? Is he going to get another revelation? You're going to go a long time. You forgot the girls. There you go. After we've done all of that stuff. He's going to do all of this. He's going to obey, do his heart obedience. And then is he going to get another revelation? The tree of life. And I really hope this semester we get there. <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, Just like we laughed at the fact that they got sent back a couple times, but isn't that how it always works? We get some inspiration, we do it, and then God says, oh, by the way, you also need to do this. Yes. And you need to do this. So it's actually the pattern. It, it is the pattern, isn't it? That says you're going to get some revelation. Uh, you, you get a, uh, If you're a convert... You, you heard the, the gospel, and now you're here. And then, he's, and then the bishop goes, man, glad you're here. Here's your calling. <laughs> then you get a chance to do the calling. How'd that go? Really well. Okay. So now you get more in- understanding of how God works. You sit in, the, in a sowed, and you learn, and then guess what? You get heavier callings. You know, it just, he just moves you along. Okay? So now we get the tree of life. Now, what about Nephi? Nephi is obedient. Then he's going to get a revelation. And the revelation is actually happening. Uh, it's happening right here in 1 Nephi 2. Uh, look at 19. And it came to pass, after he's not rebelling, that the Lord spake unto me, saying, Blessed art thou, Nephi, because of thy faith thou hast sought me diligently. As long as I keep your commandments, you'll prosper. You'll be led to a land of promise. There's choice above all others. He's going to be told, oh, by the way, yeah, I'm going to make you a ruler. In verse 22, a ruler and teacher over thy brethren, Joseph. Back in 16, uh, what I like about that verse is that it says it is, he did soften his heart. Yes. Yes. I mean, he could have been like his brothers, like you wouldn't want to leave his possessions. No. So, but what did he do with that? You know, he said, okay, Heavenly Father, why are we doing this? Now we understand my father, you know, why Lehi. See, did, did Lehi and Nephi believe in the law of Moses? Yes. Absolutely. They weren't throwing the whole thing out. So for them to actually kind of, here's the reform, I'm going to have to have a softening of the heart to say, I believe this, but there's more stuff. Okay? So, yeah, there's a process here. So, he's going to have to have his heart softened. By the way, I like the idea that the Lord softened his heart. It doesn't say he softened his heart. That it was something that was done to him, not something that he did on his own. That's how, that's how answers to prayer come. It's something done to him. Anyway, so, so Nephi's going to get this revelation. Okay? And then what does he do? I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandment unto the children of man. Save he shall prepare a way. Okay, I'm going to do it. Hard obedience. And then after he's gone through this whole process and they finally get back, then what happens? Does he get another revelation? Oh, wow. The biggie. So, there's the pattern. So my question is, what about us? 
we're going to get, if we're going to learn the mysteries that he's talking about. The mystery says, obedience, which then results in revelations. When we get a revelation, that revelation will usually be a revelation for us to act, to do something. We're going to, every time I've sat in a, in a sowed, in a council, seems like I always get assignments. Brother Hinckley, we need you to go organize a choir for state conference. Okay, we'll do that. And then the president looks at me like, wow, you pulled it off. <laughs> yeah, I did. Awesome. <laughs> I'm as surprised as you are. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so we get the revelation. Then we get, we get a commandment to do something, to fulfill. And then what happens? Greater revelation comes right behind that. The, and and that, those greater revelations is when we're learning the mysteries. Yeah, it is, and it's and and the, this knowledge is tailor made to our level of understanding what we're in a place to, to, because not only is it our ability to know it, but I think our understanding of mysteries are also given to us because we're ready to do what we're then supposed to do with that knowledge. That's why it is we don't just throw the temple open to everybody and just let anybody. Take a look at what we're doing. It isn't that we're ashamed of that. It's just that we're not prepared to put people under obligation to do things that they are not yet able and willing to follow through on. Why give them knowledge that would condemn them when they don't follow through? We love them. We love people too much to not do that to them. I think so. Those trials can be. That's that's why I think sometimes what we're asked to do is not just obedience; it's hard obedience. We're going to ask to do hard things. And I think that's where most of the time we get stuck. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Okay, that said, we got 15 minutes. Uh, I did want. Uh, I think what I want to do though is this. Okay. We know this. We know the the next story fairly well. But let me just point out a couple of things that we have maybe talked about a little bit in the past. But I want you to do it. I want to do it in the context of what we've been talking about today. Uh, we know that uh, now it's time to go get back and get the brass plates. Um, you don't go into the scriptures without your uh, your quad. You got to have your scriptures. Uh, we know that the brass plates uh, contained uh, Deuteronomy. Yeah, but not just Deuteronomy. It also contained all of the other wisdom stuff that they that they were going to need. Okay, so off they go. They're going to go see Laban. Uh, they're going to get there. Uh, let me just remind you. Uh, verse 11. So now when they're sitting outside the city, who's going to go talk to Laban? You want to talk to Laban? I don't want to talk to Laban. No. 
No, we know him. He's got a reputation in town. Okay? We're going to cast lots. Now, that in, uh, in our understanding of things, doesn't that seem like, let's just roll the dice and see. You know, it's like we're going to spin the bottle and whoever gets the point, that you get to go as labor. Doesn't that seem a little haphazard? Why? Is it haphazard? Why? <laughs> because it's in the scriptures. That's nice. Because it's in the scriptures. Okay. You need to understand. Uh, you, you, you need to understand the uh, the uh, traditions of the time before you're going to understand this. The idea of casting lots was the idea whether it was sticks that were taken and thrown in the air or like at Masada where they're going to break pottery shards and you're going to draw them out of a hat kind of thing. The idea was if we're going to cast lots, we believe that God controls the lots. So if we're going to, if the lots in this case are going to be who gets the short stick? We believe that when it comes time to draw the sticks, that God will direct who gets the short stick. But shouldn't it have been layman's responsibility? Yeah. And what a shock that they draw lots, and guess who the lot falls on? The eldest dude. It was supposed to kind of be him in the first place, right? He had to have that experience. So when Nephi came out with the plates, my younger brother did this and I couldn't. And I couldn't. That's the right. must be with him. Okay, so they're going to draw the lots and we know how that goes. And by the way, this is where, and this is just, this, this, is, uh, this is speculation on my part, but it, it fits kind of, I think, in what we're talking about. When this doesn't work out... And, the, and, and Laman gets thrown out and then they go back and they get the rich stuff and they get thrown out the next time uh, what happens? look at 28 wherefore Laman and Lemuel did speak many hard words unto us their younger brother and they did smite us even with a rod okay now uh, the, again, go back to Eastern tradition of how this works. How, do you, how did they know? How did, um, what was the symbol of Moses' authority in Egypt? His, his rod, his staff. And in fact, if he's going to transfer somehow to Aaron to do something, how did they do that? Give him the rod, give him the staff. They're what whoever held, in the same way that we were just talking about, how do we know who the king or queen of England is? They have the emblems of authority. They have, they have the scepter and the staff, right? Uh, the orb. And, and when the Nephite kings would pass on the authority, it's whoever has the sword of Laban, the sword, and the Leahona, the orb. Okay, that's how you do that. Now, how would you know in this group of people? What? Let me take a step back. How might Laban know that these are really Lehi's people requesting the plates? What might they have had with them? Lehi's rod. 
Possibly. That's what makes sense to me. That this would be symbolic of my father Lehi, and here is his rod. It's like having a seal. Here's my father's rod who says, give us the plates. He's not listening to it. Then they're going to try it. Here's the golden stone. It's not going to come back. Okay. Then when Nephi's saying, no, we're not done yet. We're not going to leave until we get the plates. What do they beat him with? The rod. The rod. <laughs> Meaning, what were they beating him with? What, what, in, what in essence, if this is the case, what in essence was Laman and Lemuel doing? They were invoking their authority. We are the oldest, and here is the authority, and I'm going to beat you with the authority. This is proof I'm in charge. Do it my way, because Dad gave it to me, and I'm beating you with it. And I don't think he just picked up a random stick. Does that make sense? Do we know this for sure? No. But it just makes a sense where the battle is about authority... And, and the tradition of rods and staffs as authority, it makes perfect sense to me that when the brothers are going to be angry, they're trying to assert their authority by way of... It would almost be like... Um, Jesus and the whip. Yeah, it could be. It, if, if the whip were some kind of sim- symbolism of authority... Uh, it would almost be like the, the Pope beating some of the cardinals or something with one of the divine yeah. things that they have. Yeah. Well, the paradigm shift that you're looking at by men and Lemuel, um, the way they would write it would be more um, this, this Lehi and Nephi, they're being blasphemous. Yes. We are trying to put them back in their place to protect their eternal souls. And we're and risking our entire journey because we really don't think. Uh, do you think they've got copies of the Torah with them? I absolutely believe they do. I think they would have taken the, their Torah with them. What is containing the brass plates is the genealogies of the fathers. It's the writings of people like Zenus and Zenit. It is the the uh, Jacob five. It's the it's the parable of the vineyard. I mean, there are, there's so much more. But if it's simply the law of Moses, I believe that they've got the De- they've got Deuteronomy with them. How else are they going to be observing Jews in the wilderness if they can't do their regular readings? They've got that. They needed more. They needed what's on the brass plates, and they could have gone out into the wilderness with the law with the law intact, and they didn't need the brass plates. And they're trying to assert their authority to recover that. That probably not. But that, you're right, probably wouldn't. Nephi's writing in retrospect. We know that it was the genealogies of the fathers and the writings. But at the time, they may not have known other than the fact that there are plates that Laban has that we're supposed to get. Well, I don't even know if Lehi knew. He might have just said, go get the plates, uh, and then found out later what was on it. So Lehi might have been able to say, I don't even know what's there. I just know God has said, go get them. Yeah. So again, we're doing visions. We're doing. You're you're having dreams, and we're risking our lives to go get something that we really don't need if we already have the toy. So that, that that's a good point. All right. I have five minutes.
Uh, you know, by the way, that they found they found records of the fact that uh, uh, the uh, the rulers in Jerusalem had uh, groups of fifty that protected them. That their 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 basic platoons were fifties. Uh, and there it is. He can command fifty. Uh, he can enslave fifty. Why not us? But of course, Joseph Smith wrote this up in upstate New York, just off the top of his head. <laughs> okay. Um, let me just finish with this because I, I think this is probably a good note for us to end up. Here is, here is Nephi's explanation to the brothers before he's actually going to go slay Laban. And we'll pick up maybe with the slaying of Laban uh, next week. But I want you to hear Nephi's explanation of things. To the brothers, he's saying, Let us go up and be strong like unto Moses, uh, who spake unto the rivers, the, red, the water of the Red Sea, and they divided hither and thither. You know this to be true. You also know that an angel has spoken unto you. How can you doubt? Come on, it was an angel. I've always believed too, by the way, it was a female angel. I think it was like a mom. <laughs> Don't be beating your brothers with a stick. Knock it off. Only good by belief. Yeah. Therefore, can you doubt? Let us go up, Nephi says, the Lord is able to deliver us. Remember we talked last week that this is a delivery document. It is about how the Lord delivers through tender mercies His people. We get that in 1 Nephi. Anybody who's going to read the Book of Mormon goes through the delivery. The Lord delivers. That is the message. The Lord delivers and the Lord recovers. That probably be the two messages. Okay, Lord can deliver... Let us go out, the Lord is able to deliver us even as our fathers and destroy Laban even as the Egyptians. How did the Egyptians get... How were they destroyed? They were drowned. Who drowned them? God did. Even before that, the first son, they were killed. Yeah, but it was the Lord doing it. So we are about to go... Get the plates. I know that the Lord can deliver us and help us get the plates. And He's going to do it the same way as the Lord delivered Moses from the Egyptian. What does Nephi, in his learning, because he's still learning how God works. He's still not completely understanding the doings of God. How does Nephi expect that they will get the plates from Laban? The Lord is going to strike Laban dead. It's how he works. I hear it in every Passover that we go. Every You know, the God strikes the enemies dead and you walk out on dry ground. That's how it works. So don't worry about it. Lord is going to strike down Laban and all I've got to do is pick up the plates and walk back out. So I'm going to go into the Jerusalem. You guys keep the car running. Keep the air conditioning on. I'm just going to go in. He'll wipe them out. I'll pick up the plates. I will be right back. Piece of cake. Yeah. yeah. That's the same argument that they were using about the Lord protecting Jerusalem. It is. So there will be some kind of miraculous intervention. That's exactly right. 
Yeah, I don't know exactly how this is going to work, but the one part I do know is that the Lord will do this. Now, how exactly that will happen and what I will need to do, I, I don't know yet, but I do know this part, that God wipes out Egyptians, God will wipe out, wipe out Laban. That's nice. As long as I cut off his head. Well, I don't know that yet. <laughs> I don't know that yet. I'm about to... And, and then not only that, then years later, this is where we're going to pick up next week, when I'm writing the history of all this stuff, I'm going to write at my, about my toughest decision that I ever made. And that is finding out how God would deliver us and what He would require literally at my hand to do that. And that will be my promise to us, is that the Lord's going to require hard things of us. Don't be surprised if it challenges you to your deepest beliefs sometimes to actually do, to fulfill His commandments. And it'll be by your hand that it'll be completed. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.